Now starts another week here on the pregame podcast where you get to spend the next hour of your day listening to Dan and I banter about random sports. Yeah, a lot on the schedule for today. We're talking players that changed the game of basketball. Plus, we're talking about a little bit of the controversy that some players are getting themselves into by deciding to opt out of the return to sports as we're calling it on this back half of 2020 and i blow dan's mind with the most complicated game of baseball you'll ever hear uh it's certainly complicated i don't even know if i understand it at this point and we were talking about it for a long time but before we talk about complicated baseball and people who change the rules of basketball how about we talk about our winners and losers kalen sure it is time for our winners and losers of the week Kalen, where are you starting today? Who is your winner this week? My winner this week is Cam Newton. Super Cam is my winner, and it's not because he did anything amazing or he has, you know, blown anybody out of the water with, you know, a statement or something like that. No, it is because everyone is now talking about Cam Newton for the past pretty much week. The news dropped a while ago now that he would be on the Patriots roster and everyone's assuming he's going to take that starting role. And now we're all talking about him. We're not, but everybody else is in the sports world. Yeah, we don't we don't care. We don't care at all. (laughs) I really couldn't care less, um, to be honest with you. But he's all over the place. And this is the first time you've really heard Cam Newton's name being thrown around in a very long while. My winner this week is Cam Newton because he's popular again. Maybe not for the best reasons, maybe not for the worst reasons, but he's in the know, if you will. In the now, excuse me. All right, sure. In the know, in the now, whatever. He is now part of the NFL conversation. I think that's the important takeaway from everything going on. Although he did not crack the top 10 list of quarterbacks that was released after polling scouts and GMs and all of that, of course. He... Not not too high up there. Trust me, if he was higher up, I'm assuming he would have flown out of free agency way faster than he actually did. Yeah, in, in my opinion, Cam Newton is overrated. He had one good season, and that's about it. But anyway, that's my winner for the week. Dan, who are you looking at as your winner for the week? My winner this week is the Atlanta Braves. Something we're going to be talking about a little bit later on in the show here on the pregame is, of course, the players that decided to opt out of the MLB season. And one of those players is Braves outfielder Nick Markakis. And the Braves have signed a replacement for him, a little name, uh, someone you may know, Kalen. Who's that? That is Yasiel Puig. Hey, Puig. So Puig is going to be a Atlanta Brave and going to help them try to take on the AL and NL East to maybe you know, advance on and potentially take home a World Series for the Braves. I mean, the squad is pretty young, uh, pretty good looking. And, you know, Puig, a lot of attitude, a lot of a lot of jazz he brings to the team beyond just the, the power stroke of that bat. So I'm going to say the Atlanta Braves are the winners for this week, or at least a winner for this week. Picking up Puig is a... Uh... It's a good pickup for the Braves, but he was already an Atlanta Brave, and that was troublesome. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Honestly, even with the the issue when he was on the Cincinnati Reds when he followed the Pirates, you know, all that stuff, I think he's still uh, a pretty solid player, uh, not a bad guy. And I think that uh, Yasiel Puig is only going to help that team rather than hinder them. So, Kalen, on the flip side, who is your loser this week? My loser for the week is a man who's been a loser on this show before, and he is again, Colin Cowherd, for saying something I thought was totally preposterous. A video came across my Facebook feed of Colin Cowherd, and I was like, all right, I'll take a look at it, because the headline was, Lakers out, Celtics in. And I kind of just saw that and looked away, and then looked back at my phone and went, nah, this can't be real. And in watching the video... I did learn that his opinion of the Lakers is they are now out of the playoffs, this new 22-team format, because Rajon Rondo is hurt, and they don't have Avery Bradley, and et cetera, et cetera. And I thought to myself, they were the number one seed in the West pretty much last time I looked. 
you want you want to check your facts there, Colin, because they're still there, and they're still good, and they still have LeBron. And by the way, the roster isn't that shallow. So I don't know what that guy's thinking, but he's my loser for this week because honestly, that was a stupid statement, especially when the Celtics have Kemba Walker coming back and off his terrible knee injury he had in this this season. And I'm literally staring at an article right now of how they're going to ease him back into said play in Orlando, which means that he's not going to play until they're actually in the playoffs or something. So I don't understand Colin's Colin's logic there. I don't get it. I am with you. Uh, Colin Cowherd, you and I both agree. Not exactly the... Uh, brightest tool in the shed, shall we say. <laughs> brightest uh, tool in the shed. A- exactly. Yeah, that's that's the category right. that we're putting him in. Okay, I, sure. Listen, I, I'm aware of what I said, okay? <laughs> All right. He, just, he, just making sure. He, listen, he he's not even anywhere close to being the sharpest tool in the shed. He is he is just off of being the brightest tool in the shed, if that gives you any perspective. Um, Freshly polished. Freshly <laughs> The, the, if you will. The, he is far off from being the finest, uh, finely polished pitchfork in the shed that we we're all expecting of him. Now, regardless, I don't know, nothing new here. Colin Cowherd, cold takes. I mean, it's a match made in heaven, okay? It's peanut butter and jelly. And with that, Dan, I now pass the baton to you for your loser for the week. My loser this week is a member of the Sacramento Kings. I believe it's Rachon Holmes. I'm I'm I could be wrong with that. His his first <laughs> his first name's tripping me up. I'm bad with names, okay, people. We know this. We already knew this. Haha, <laughs> it's funny. I'm bad with names. Haha. <laughs> Either way, something else that's funny is th- this this Sacramento Kings center, Holmes, is now stuck in a ten day quarantine because he accidentally crossed the NBA campus line at the Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida, while picking up a food delivery service. Wow. So because of that, it has officially come out a few days after they had to break down the whole situation, but he has eight days left now uh, of his quarantine period. So uh, that means that he is not going to be joining his Kings team as they push to try to make this new playoff structure. He has eight days. I mean, where are we at? We're at the 14th. I mean, he's going to miss the first game. Probably that's it. Yeah, I know, but still uh, one of the first ones to get in trouble for this. You know? Well, yeah, I think he's the first one. Also proves a point of the bubble is not impenetrable. Yeah, he, he's not the only one. There's also Houston Rockets player Bruno Caboclo, who also is in quarantine again after accidentally leaving the bubble. It'd be funny to see how much of the bubble was left if, like, literally he just, like, took two steps outside the line and they're just like, listen, man, those are the rules. Those are the rules. Yeah, yeah, that but, would be interesting. But you got to imagine this man has to miss a couple of games as as this team is pushing for a playoff spot, you know, because he stepped over a line while picking up his Taco Bell. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's just funny overall. But he is my loser this week. Tough break, kid. Uh, we'll, we'll see how you do next week. <laughs> it is now time on the pregame podcast for us to talk about the Big thing that a lot of teams are facing as we're looking at the NBA season restart. We're looking at the MLB starting its 2020 season, and that is players opting out of playing in the return or in the entirety of their respective sports. Kalen, this is obviously a very big topic because this is going to affect how a lot of teams are going to be able to play and how they're going to be able to function when it comes to getting back into these seasons. Yeah, I mean, it sucks to be a Brooklyn Net right now, for instance, (laughs) because Kyrie, first of all, it sucks to be a Brooklyn Net in general, but then your star player, besides Kevin Durant, who's hurt anyway, and Kyrie Irving comes out and is like, yeah, we're just not going to, I'm just not going to play. Just not going to do it. I don't think it's right. And, you know, he has his reasons for it. But Of course. You know, being his teammate, I look at him and I'm just like, well, screw you, buddy. Well, um, it, it's definitely more than just Kyrie Irving. If we could start with Major League Baseball players, for example, there's quite a noticeable list of players who have decided to opt out of the 2020 season, which is supposed to be back up and running like two weeks from now, like or actually not even that, a, 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 just over a week from now. You know, and those players uh, include like some names that are, you know, if you're a baseball fan, they're definitely recognizable to you. Mike Leake, Ryan Zimmerman, 
Ian Desmond, David Price, Felix Hernandez, Nick Markakis, Buster Posey. All of these players having officially opted out of the MLB 2020 season. Now, some of these teams, they're not looking as competitive regardless, but this is a shortened season. And we talked about before with Ian, well, with Ian and Hunter, I should say, that this season could be a bit of a crapshoot. And even teams that weren't looking as hot could have a shot because of the ability to get on hot streaks that last the length of this season. Exactly. So if I'm a baseball organization or a general manager exec at this point, point in the whole covid situation and we're looking to get things going i'm looking at this and i'm saying there's a lot of opportunity here to get hot quick stay hot get hot halfway and win it you know like there's so much of an opportunity with this short of a season to if you're a bad team just do well for a short period of time like two three weeks of just clean sweeps and you can put yourself in the playoffs if i'm an owner and Ryan Zimmerman's just like, yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not really feeling playing, you know. I'm gonna look at Ryan Zimmerman and go, okay, fine, I'll take your paycheck back. Forget it. You're not gonna work. You're not gonna get paid. Bottom line, I don't understand it. First of all, this is a great opportunity to win a championship easily, much more easily than playing the 162 games that they play. And to top that off. You have a job during this whole pandemic when some people don't and you get paid millions of dollars and you're still going to get paid millions of dollars. I mean, baseball's whole thing was money, right? And to me, if I'm an exec, one way that I can save money in this pandemic without having spectators is take away Ryan Zimmerman's paycheck. See you later, dude. You're not going to play. I pay you to play baseball. I don't pay you to cry like a little girl because we have a short season. I don't get that. That, to me, is just a load of crap. I will say that for these players, they do forfeit their paychecks. It's good. It's not a situation where, like, oh, I'm just not going to play and I'm going to get paid. So, for example, David Price, you know, as one example, is forfeiting $12 million in salary here. Ryan Zimmerman, your example, he's on the older side and not as elite as, you know, he's been in the past. So, you know, he's losing three quarters of a million, you know, a little bit closer to a, a vet minimum. But regardless, it still has to be a little bit infuriating to some of these teams, both to fans of the team, to the management of the team, but also to the players' teammates. Just think about it. I mean, that's like you and me on a team, and I just am I'm just like, nah, I don't want to play because, you know, this whole situation, it just doesn't really fit my bill. And let's say I'm the ace pitcher on the roster. If you're the shortstop or, you know, anybody else on the team, you're going to go, well, now we just lost at least 10 of our 60 games right there because you're not going to, our ace pitcher isn't going to be out there to throw five no hitters or something. You know what I mean? Like, granted, five no hitters is extreme in a season. But <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's pretty, pretty uh, lofty goals you're setting there for this imaginary ace. But regardless... It, you get the point. Like, our ace isn't out there to, you know, hold it to two or three one-run games, a no-hitter, and, you know, whatever else that they would do. And I'm thinking, like, an elite ace here, obviously. But that's really discouraging. That doesn't make you want to play. Like, that. if I did that, that wouldn't make you want to play, Dan, right? I think it's a difficult situation. Obviously, we aren't actually in those positions, but we can speculate. And I mean, just if think I'm trying about to, high if school. I'm... Think about high school sports. Well, like, I guess that's a good point. If you're if your best player sat out for no good reason, like, oh, I got a bruise on my thigh. I don't think I should play. And it's literally just because like he bumped into the railing in third period or something while going to see his girlfriend in the hallway. Like, what are you doing? Like, we have a game today. You need like get out there. We need to win. If you are competitive, this should bug you. This should bug you a lot. And I would think it does a lot for a lot of these baseball players. Now that you especially put it in that type of context, I definitely understand the idea of it seeming like they're kind of wimping out of the season. Now, you can't equate a global pandemic to getting a bruise on your leg. There, no. This is a, there, there is a bit more of a legitimate reason why these players have decided to, to sit out of the season. But I, I still don't even see the reasoning. I mean, like, if, if you take the precautions and you do what the MLB, you know, is saying you should do to stay healthy and stay safe. Like, why is there a problem? You know what I mean? Like, 
be smart, be sensible, and be safe about it. And I honestly don't see the problem. It's like going to the grocery store right now anyway. Like, other people touch that stuff. You go into the grocery store, you come out, you hand sanitize, you hand sanitize while you're in there, wear your mask, you know, do what you got to do, and then get out. Baseball is even more safe. Like, you have your bats, you have your helmet, you have your gloves, like, you have your items. You don't have to touch anybody else's stuff. You have your water bottle. Sure, you got to stand next to Mike Trout, but who cares? If you're wearing a mask, who cares? Just stand a little bit farther away than you normally would in the dugout. I don't know. I understand the reasoning and I understand people's worry, but at this point in this whole pandemic thing, let's all follow the guidelines. Let's all stay safe and move on with life safely and in a good way. For some of these players, there are different circumstances that have led them to making this decision. For example, Buster Posey, one of the players that is sitting out for the MLB, he and his wife have adopted identical twin girls and due to their young age has decided to sit out because of it. Ryan Zimmerman, for example, he has three young children, including a newborn, and then the mother of these children are also at high risk. I know, like, there's a thing about, like, oh, well, you follow the precautions, but I think there's also a level of some of these players' situations individually are it's different. Everybody's situation is different. If you look at the entire, like, forget about baseball for a second. If you look at, you know, the entire country, some people are taking it more seriously because of people who they they live with. Kalen, you and I both know people who who are high risk in different ways. Right. You know, I have friends of mine who significant others are severely immunocompromised. And because of that, it's it's much more serious of a thing for them compared to some other people who may not have people in direct relation to them or who are directly part of their friend group network, whatever you want to call it, you know, who would be as severely affected by this. So I can't blame people here who have young, like these guys are athletes in their late twenties, early thirties. This is about the time that they're starting families. You know oh, what yeah, I'm saying? Look, if you have a valid reason for sitting out, you have a valid reason for sitting out. I'm not knocking I'm not necessarily knocking those guys. I'm saying names and examples because I'm I'm just pulling them out of a hat, basically. But like, if it's a Buster Posey and in this case Ryan Zimmerman situation, yeah, all right. I understand you sitting out the season. I get it. Sure, whatever. Not happy about it still, in all honesty. But there's reasoning behind it. Okay. But honestly, in my opinion, if you have no no real medical reason or someone in your family has. No real medical reason for you to be sitting on the sideline instead of sitting in the dugout or sitting on the couch instead of sitting in the dugout, I should say. Why are you sitting on your couch? Why are you not working? Why are you not doing this? That's to me. That's those are the players that I don't get. Now, this is looking at the current players opting out for the entirety of the MLB 2020 season. Do you share the same type of thoughts in regards to the NBA, Kalen? Well, here's the thing. I think some of these players in the MLB are proving a point because of the discrepancies and the arguments that the MLBPA and the MLB had, you know, trying to get to this whole resolved situation here. And that's not the case in the NBA. Yeah. So to kind of go over the NBA really quickly, there are a couple of different levels to this entire thing. Of course, there are players that are opting out under their own free will, including players like Trevor Ariza, Avery Bradley, Willie Cauley-Stein. You also have players who are being pulled out due to positive COVID test results, including DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie. And then there are players who are not joining the restart due to non-COVID-related injuries, including your Kyrie Irving, as you mentioned, also Kevin Durant, John Wall, Victor Oladipo, Bradley Beal, among other less notable players. Yeah, like the guys who are hurt, like Kyrie, honestly, Kyrie, I don't know if he even could come back during the rest of the season. He he hurt himself and it, it is what it is. But, you know, he was pretty adamant about like, yeah, I'm not coming back, period, bottom line. And he didn't even use his injury as an excuse. He used the current political situation as an excuse in social media, which I thought was like, OK, this is this is weird, but whatever. I, I don't I don't get it. You have the guys who just don't want to play because they're afraid of getting either getting it or they just don't want to like they're just like ah whatever it's just this end of this season and our team's gonna be a bottom seed we're not gonna beat the houston rockets or whatever to get in anyway so who cares like victor oladipo for instance 
I don't know why Victor. I didn't see why he didn't want to play. Can you elaborate on that situation? So Victor Oladipo and his decision of sitting out has told the athletic that he can't get his mind to quote be fully comfortable in playing. He also said that he really wants to play as a competitor, as a teammate, uh, and the whole thing's tearing him apart. And he's at a okay spot in his rehab, you know, closer to a hundred percent than not. But he's worried about you know an increased risk of soft tissue injury within this bubble essentially all right i do know that he's recovering so i get it but again my thought process is if you can go lace up and go this is like pre-playoff time right now this is go time and victor oladipo is like one of the best players on his on his roster so (laughs) strap in dude like let's get you on the court if we can plus that gives him actual time to kind of see where his injury is at let's say he plays two games and is like ah nope not about it like my, my injury's still bugging me i'm gonna i'm gonna take it easy here take a couple games off rehab a little better or whatever he's not gonna get that chance again until like december when the season starts back up so it's some of these guys that it's the guys again that don't have a valid reason to come back especially in this situation with it being the playoffs that really really bug me because this is crunch time. This is when your team needs you the most. And I mean, you have guys that tested positive for COVID before flying down to the bubble, which everyone for the NBA is now in practicing and getting ready, but they didn't come down. They're not here and they didn't see any other teammates beforehand. So you're safe. Like everything's fine unless somebody brought it into this bubble or someone gets it in Orlando down near that bubble. Like, and the NBA should do what they can to prevent people from going and doing that or doing something that can put them at risk. I don't know. Again, if I was unemployed during this whole thing, which thankfully I was not, and my job was like, hey, you got to go back to work. I'd be like, okay, when do I need to start? July 30th. I'm like, okay, I'll be there. I'll start. We'll get going. Like, it's my job. I, I'm getting paid to do it. Like, this this is my job. I'm going to I'm gonna go do it. Like, so- I just don't understand. So to take a realistic situation, let's say the Lakers make the NBA Finals this season, okay? All right. They're up against the Bucks. Let's just take the two favorites, right? Yep. And the Lakers lose. For example, Avery Bradley decided to sit out a Lakers player there. Now, we're going to ignore the fact that the Lakers filled his gap with J.R. Smith, because who knows how J.R. Smith's going to play, if he's going to be if he's going to be Nick's J.R. Smith or if he's going to be you know, screwing up in the NBA Finals with LeBron standing next to him, pointing at him, J.R. Smith. We don't know how he's going to be. But if the Lakers lose in a close one, okay, Game 7, they lose. How much hate do you think would be directed back towards Bradley? Or, you know, insert any player that decided to sit out. Say the Trailblazers somehow make it to the NBA Finals in some type of frozen hellscape, and they lose in the Finals on a close one. How much hate is Trevor Ariza going to get for deciding to sit out? And that could also well, be in, you know, that could also be on the MLB side of things. You have, you know, the the Dodgers, which have been knocking on a World Series ring forever. If they don't get there, how much of that, you know, or if they do get there and they don't finish the job in the World Series, how much of that sits on David Price's shoulders? A good bit, actually. Um, well, in that in that case, in that particular case, quite a bit could be on David Price's yeah, shoulders. Yeah, D- David Price. That's that's a lot of weight right there. Um, anyway, no. So go to the Avery Bradley situation in particular. He's one of the better defenders in the league, in my opinion, and in recent years. And that's why he's a Laker right now. And LeBron James probably was not too thrilled about that. Just going to throw that out there. He probably was like, dude, what you doing? Why why are you opting out? And I'm sure Avery Bradley has a good reason for opting out, and he may or may not even bother to tell the public. But, I mean, replacing him with J.R. Smith is not replacing Avery Bradley. Like, it's not Avery Bradley for Avery Bradley. It's Avery Bradley for, like you said, some J.R. Smith who we don't even know if he's oh, going to yeah. be good. Like, it, this could be LeBron standing at center court pleading with J.R. Smith, J.R. Smith, or this could be, like, actual good J.R. Smith from the good old days. Dude, I, I don't know. It, it, if Avery Bradley opts out, he's one of, he, in my opinion, he's one of the better defenders and he can guard a lot of different people and it's tough. I mean, obviously circumstantial, you know, you have to look at who was popping off. Like, was it Giannis who won everything? Was it, you know, 
Chris Middleton, like who actually did the most damage, I guess, if that series were to happen. But it still affects your team and it still affects your defense if one player decides to sit out. It just does. It affects the chemistry. Somebody else has to pick up the slack and the question then becomes, okay, who's this going to be? Is it going to be Kuzma? Like who, who's going to bother to step up? I don't know if I was LeBron James, I'd probably be looking at Avery Bradley. Like we could have used you there, pal. I think the last question that comes to mind is due to the fact that the NBA and MLB more than I think any other sport, uh, at least for the big four, big, well, yeah, big four. I'm not gonna say big four and a half because MLS has a lot of this too. MLS actually has a lot of this. But for the NBA and MLB, there's a lot of players that are not American. There's a lot of foreign players. The NBA is filled with players from Europe and Africa and South America and China. <laughs> you know, there, there are players from everywhere. And Major League Baseball also has a lot of influence from players in the Central American region and the Caribbean region and in the Far East region. So for some of these players that are opting out, because they don't live in America and they spend their off-season in their home countries, do you think that's reasonable due to the difference in how America versus the rest of the world is looking at this present moment with COVID? Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm from a country where the situation is under wraps, which it clearly isn't in the United States, yeah, I I would seriously think about going to the United States. Like, the situation is not good here. It's nowhere close to good. And it's not being handled properly since the beginning from at this point, I blame the citizens, but I mean, the government isn't doing much about it either. So it is what it is here. And we have to move on with that, uh, that knowledge and, you know, do with what you will, as far as your neighbors deciding to listen to rules and regulations and whatnot. But I mean, if I'm like Otani or something and I'm looking at, los angeles or i'm looking at the united states and i definitely would be like yeah no I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna stay over here on the other side of the pacific here pal I'm, I'm, I'm gonna camp out like i don't have to worry about COVID here we have like five total cases you guys have like five thousand all over again so no I'd, i wouldn't want to come over to the united states five and, cases every second yeah and to be honest with you i think that's one of the few situations in this whole conversation that i think has a lot of validity is why would you go from somewhere that is clearly safe to somewhere that is clearly not safe that's just that's just not using your brain in my opinion i think the final thing here is that everyone's circumstances are different i understand a lot of what you're saying in terms of it's a hit to team morale it upsets fans but at the same time, some people are in situations where it is the smarter option for them. And while for some people it, you know, it may not seem like the most necessary move, I think still, regardless of everything, it still is something that has to be respected at some level, that decision, because obviously it's not a very easy decision to make. You have a lot of these players there in the last year of their contracts. How is that going to affect their free agency? Right. I think all in all... This was bound to happen, and especially for situations where there's very logical reasons behind their decisions that they decided to opt in or opt out or whatever. I think at the end of the day, this entire situation is so big that I don't know how much it's even going to be looked at as like, a, oh, this is a stain on the legacy of this player in the middle of a global pandemic. I don't think that would ever happen, but honestly, the bottom line of my point is for those of the people that don't have a what their employer, which would be like their team and their or executive organization feel is a good excuse to not play, they should be playing because it is their job. They are employed by a team to to play a sport and get paid lots of money to do so. And I mean, obviously, they're not getting paid lots of money if they're not playing, but unless they have a valid excuse, I would say get on the field, get on the court. Kaylin, for anyone who's been listening to the pregame podcast for a long time, they know that you love basketball and you love obscure basketball facts and players who impacted the game in more than just points, rebounds, and assists. Yes, very, very much so. You are a true nerd of basketball. You're not just a fan. You are a you are a nerd of basketball in the same way that 
baseball fans get down into like Excel spreadsheets about player stats? I would say I am more a student of the game when it comes to basketball. I like the I like the on-court X's and O's of the whole thing. And I also like, you know, the history because the history of the sport really tells you why do we have a backdoor cut? Why do we have a baseline cut in a 2-3 zone? Why do we have a cut to the elbow in a 2-3 zone? Like why, you know, the X's and O's really tell you how to play the game, but then also the history of it shows you why those X's and O's are there. So yeah, I, I love impact players, especially because they really tell you why the game evolved and why the rules are in place that exist today. Well, the history of the game is exactly what we're going to get into today, because we're going to be looking at basketball players who have changed the rules of basketball. Oh, let's go. So there are many players that fall into this category. Many players. We can talk about them forever, but I pulled out three that I thought had really cool, interesting examples of changing the way basketball works that, you know, I thought we'd talk about for a little bit today. So when I first threw this idea at you, there's one name that immediately came out of your mouth. Yeah, it comes out of my mouth every time this topic comes up. And that is that is who? Go ahead. Let the people know. That is Wilt Chamberlain. Yes. So Will Chamberlain, obviously, like, greatest basketball player of the 1960s. Oh, yeah, one of, for sure. Um, uh, who are you putting against him for the 1960s? Uh, don't make me dive into that rabbit hole right now. <laughs> okay, a, a topic for a different day, but still, Will Chamberlain, an incredible guy, incredibly dominant NBA player, has the record for 100 points in a single game, also has the NBA record for most NBA records. Yes. You know, nice little bonus cop out there, but... Regardless, there's a couple of rules that came into effect because of Wilt Chamberlain, and I want to talk about them here if you would so indulge me, Kalen. Oh, please, please. So, first off, Wilt Chamberlain obviously built very properly for the NBA. Oh, yeah, especially in the 60s. He was he was a giant. Man was tall, arms long, and that allowed him to do a lot of things that were just unfair to everybody else in the league. Oh, oh my God, yeah. And it caused a couple of rules. So, first off, something... I love how I, you're like, it caused a couple of rules. Like, <laughs> it made some rules. <laughs> His physical stature changed some things in the NBA. First off, they actually widened the lane because of him. I don't know if you knew this part, Kalen. Yeah, I think that came after another rule that I'm sure you'll get to. But yeah, they, they did. They widened it by like, I think it was like a foot. On either side or something like that? It is actually two feet on either side. So they they widened it from 12 to 16 feet. And in part with this, they introduced things like interference and goaltending. Well, I should yes. say offensive goaltending. Yes, yes, yeah. Basically, they were like, this man can't stand anywhere near this hoop. Like, we need to expand the paint and tell this guy that he can't just stand here, grab the ball, and just drop it into the hoop every single second of the game. Yeah, and I mean it wasn't just Wilt. Wilt was probably the uh the biggest culprit of quote unquote at the time dominating the paint, but there were guys that were doing what we would call now offensive goaltending all the like all the time. It was a common occurrence. On top of this, there's also rules about how you're allowed to inbound the ball, which I think this is one of the funniest changes that Wilt Chamberlain ushered in, which is the fact that you can't and you don't see it in the NBA anymore because it was outlawed a long time ago. You can't lob the ball over the backboard when you're inbounding. Do you want to take any guess why uh, this uh, rule came into effect? Probably because, you know, they would lob it up over the backboard and then Wilt would just jump and slam dunk it or jump and, you know, lay it up in before anybody else could even get close to getting the ball. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly why. This yeah. man literally, they were just like, okay, we're just going to toss in the general direction of the hoop, and you could just, like, you know, guide it in real quick for us. Basically. And <laughs> so what were you saying there for a second? You're like, <laughs> you, you, it seemed like you didn't even have any idea that this was something that used to happen. I mean, when you, like, thought of that as a thing in basketball, you just never see it in the NBA or anything because it's not a good strategy, like, anymore, or in college basketball even. Like, it just doesn't work anymore because everybody's the same-ish height and et cetera, unless you're Taco Fall. When you're playing, like, as a little kid growing up, that was one of the moves that you were always like, I bet you I can thread the needle through, like, the rafters that the basketball net used to come down off the ceiling or whatever, and 
somebody can catch it and shoot or something quick. I can't say that I haven't done that once or twice because I definitely did. That's the ultimate winning move in a game of horse, right? Like you just go back there and you're like, you know, if if I'm making this, no one else is. So I'm going to give everyone a letter. Like, yeah, you, you, yeah. You better watch out, Timmy, because you're about to get an R off of this one. Just bank it off the <laughs> off the supports, as you said, and just make it in. Yep. Or just lob it up and over. And then for Will Chamberlain, there's one more rule. I think this is probably when you think of what he was doing to cause this rule to come into effect. It's absolutely hilarious. So Will Chamberlain is a great player for many different reasons, but he wasn't necessarily an elite free throw shooter. So one of the things that they had to do is they had to stop him from doing what he did every time he got up to the stripe, okay? Which was taking the ball, throwing it off the backboard, and dunking it. Interesting. Yeah. So he would stand there, and he would like... So this is the, (laughs) it has to hit the rim rule, essentially. Yes. So because of this, they introduced a couple of things. The fact that the ball had to hit the rim in order for it to be rebounded. And also that no one was allowed to cross the free throw line during a free throw because he would shoot it in a way that by the time the ball hit the backboard, he was already up in the air, like at the rim, ready to grab it and just pull it down. Oh, right. He, he on release, he'd just step over the line and fly up at the ball. So because of this, basically every free throw shot for him was a free dunk, which obviously the NBA wanted to put a stop to. I actually didn't know that about Wilt's game, believe it or not. That was the one that I actually found most interesting was the fact that instead of taking free throws, he just alley-ooped it to himself off the backboard as if he was doing warm-ups, you know, in the gym. Yeah. In my opinion, the most influential thing that Wilt ever brought to the game of basketball was the widening of the paint, the offensive goaltending, and then you got your offensive three-second bio on top of that. Listen, you're not telling me if... Wilt Chamberlain wasn't dunking off of the free throw line that, you know, Vince Carter or someone of the like wouldn't be doing it years later. <laughs> I would love to see Vince Carter do that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Let's bring that back, honestly. I mean, you say the widening of the paint's most influential. Do you? Can you imagine all the players that would just jam on free throws if that role wasn't in place? Yeah, dude. Like, let's make basketball fun again. Speaking of making basketball fun again, you ready for the next player who changed the NBA? Sure, man. Because I'm talking about the booty rule. Okay. Now you you may not know it as the booty rule, but a lot I of people definitely don't. A lot of people jokingly called it the booty rule because it was a rule that the the great Charles Barkley forced into existence. Charles Barkley, you know, round mound of rebound, amazing basketball player, and this one thing was he was an undersized player for his position of power forward. Uh-huh. So. What he started doing in order to try to be better at scoring is he would literally, like, get the ball, post up, and back the defender down for, like, 20 seconds. Yep. Literally take his <laughs> his round mound and just back that <laughs> player up, you know, until he could just turn around and do, like, a, a, a tiny little fadeaway jumper or, like, a tiny little, like, layup or something. My man goes round mound. What the heck? Well, round mounds, okay? it's He's got two butt cheeks. I mean. Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, in, in Charles's defense, that was that was a good idea right there. I mean, he was oversized. Well, not oversized. He was undersized and, you know, had a pretty good up and under. So he just back you down, up and under, oh, and then lay it in. So yeah. I can't really blame him. So the actual rule that came into place was the fact that they didn't like that he just backed players down for 20 seconds in a row. So they made a rule basically saying that you're not allowed to do that. If if you are below the free throw line, you can't do this for longer than five seconds. There's like a five second back to the basket rule, essentially. Yep. And then that expanded into um, uh, dribbling the ball as well. A five-second rule for if your defender is within X distance of you dribbling the ball, which is actually really close. So that's why you can dribble out the clock and have it. If your defender's standing back off of you and whatnot, if they get really close, you only have five seconds to to dribble there in that one spot without making a either a move to the basket or a move to rotate slash move the ball. Now, while this may not be as flashy as some of the things Will Chamberlain's been doing. You got to admit, the booty roll is a, a pretty good name for a, 
uh, for this little uh, change up that Charles Barkley brought to the NBA. I think I like it better now as the round mound rule. The the round mounds rule. Yeah. Yeah, just gotta just gotta back them down. Just get those round mounds out and just back them down. <laughs> Let's trademark that real quick before we before we send it to Adam Silver. Oh God, we're gonna put that on T-shirts, huh? <laughs> round mound Ruby Media. There you go. <laughs> the the round mounds of rebound, and it's just it's like a caricature of Charles Barkley. Now caricatures they exaggerate like yeah, yeah, yeah. features. It's 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 his butt that's exaggerated, and he's just backing backing down the court. <laughs> Have him back down Shaq or something. It'd be great. Uh, Charles Barkley was the original Kim Kardashian. <laughs> uh. Wow. <laughs> he went there, folks. He went there. Listen, man, okay? If your nickname is the Round Mound of Rebound, okay, it's more than just your stomach that they're talking about. You know, it, you, you're a bit chunky everywhere, Okay. <laughs> As a as a round mound myself, okay, it's it's <laughs> it comes with the territory. Well, enough uh, about Charles Barkley's butt. What? Who else you got in this list of uh, influential rule creators? Well, I got one more, and I think the interesting thing here is that the rule that was modified was not in the NBA. Interesting. This was a rule change at the college level at the NCAA. It was while Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was at UCLA. Oh. Uh... I know where you're going with this. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, much like Wilt Chamberlain, you know, a player that nowadays we don't talk about in the GOAT discussion as much. But back in their day, they were like the GOATs. Okay, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, arguably one of the best players in the 70s. I mean, he's arguably one of the best players to date. That's true. But he was so dominant for such a long time. And people could see the dominance coming from a mile away that the NCAA made a rule solely because of him playing at UCLA. And that rule said that you are not allowed to dunk. What? The NCAA, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar entered into college basketball, banned dunking. I never knew that. They later took back the rule once he moved up into the NBA. But for his time, they thought that he was so dominant that they banned dunking in order to even out the playing field. That's interesting. I actually never knew that. Now I thought I knew where you were going with this, but I did not. Now, here's the interesting thing. So them banning dunking had a side effect on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He became a better shooter. Well, of course. But because he couldn't dunk, he developed an alternative to dunking. And we all know that today as the skyhook. Yeah, I was just going to say the hook. The only reason that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went to the NBA and started skyhooking on people is because he had no choice but to do that at the college level at UCLA. Because the NCAA thought he would be too dominant and banned dunking in order to even the playing field. That's wild. It is. It is actually legitimately crazy. Could you imagine any player entering the college level and the college level changing the rules solely because that player was too good? I could see them have having done that for zion williamson that's the most wait really dominant yeah yeah no zion williamson is the most dominant collegiate player i have i've watched in my lifetime i think that is actually crazy like i knew zion was like oh yeah like he's you know certified number one overall pick you know that like he is going to be the guy no the dude's a monster the dude's a monster 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 i watched him play i heard all the hype early in his one year at duke and then I was watching a Syracuse game and the Duke game came on after. And I was like, you know what? I hate Duke, but I'll watch this kid play. And it was like the fifth game of the season. And he just trashed some, I don't even remember who school. And it was, it was embarrassing to be on that other team. It was just the Zion show. And I mean, to tell you, like nobody could play with that guy in the entirety of the NCAA, uh, nobody could play with that guy. I think the Ta- only reason Taco Fall had any impact in that UCF game in the tournament was because he was seven foot four. You know, put him at Zion's height, and Taco had no chance. So, in in all honesty, if they were to implement a no dunking rule or a no like no bodying people on offense rule, it, it, that would have been the dude to do it for to force him to change up his game because he's just a bully. He's he's insanity. I'm waiting to see it in the NBA, but no, Zion is a guy that could have changed rules, and they 
didn't even think about it because everyone have an outrage nowadays. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, um, you, you can't do that nowadays because like every single person that has anything to do with Duke is going to literally destroy the NCAA. Oh, yeah. But if this was like the 70s and 60s, yeah, they'd have changed rules for Zion Williamson for sure. Well, in that case, you know, I'll be excited to see uh, Zion Williamson become the next Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> at some point in the next, you know, in 20 years, we're going to look back and say that, I guess, based on just, your prediction. Just watch the Pelicans play when basketball starts back up. Just just give them a peek, a game or two. You'll see what I'm talking about. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to get obscure here once again on the pregame podcast. Dan, do I have a real humdinger for you? I'm really excited or- for it because, you know, there's there's been a lot of different sports that we've gone over. And, you know, some of them have been kind of like niche spinoffs. Others have been completely independent with no comparison to anything else in the sports world. So I'm interested on which direction we're going today. Well, we're going in a direction of someone who witnessed baseball in the 1920s, then brought it back to his home country and apparently didn't actually watch the baseball game they attended. So the sport that I am bringing to you today, okay. uh, Pronun. I know you're very confused now, probably. I'm half thinking you're about to insult all of our our, our English listeners, all, all of our British listeners, and say cricket or something. <laughs> I have like, something that's where I'm expecting you to go. <laughs> cricket is not obscure in any way. No, shape, it is or not. Form. It is not at I, all. I have something much better than that today. I have a game called Pesapalo. Uh, I think it's actually pronounced uh, Pesabolo, which is Finnish baseball. Finnish baseball. Finish okay. baseball. I mean, now, I, tr- I tried to just spell that now, and it gave me parabola. So I'm just going to Google finish baseball and see if I can find what you're talking about here. But Yeah, just just look up finish baseball. I, 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 I have found it. So finish baseball. So obviously the guy who watched, you know, in quotes, American baseball was from Finland, I assume. Yes, he was a, if you will allow me to dive into the uh, brief history here. Oh, by all, so, by all means. Finnish baseball, it is a fast-moving bat and ball sport that is often referred to as the national sport of Finland uh, and has some presence in other countries, including Germany, Sweden, Switzerland, Australia, and Canada's northern Ontario. <laughs> are you, are you going to be doing accents for all the country? What the hell was that? Like Sweden? <laughs> Sweden, Switzerland, Australia might. <laughs> Please Canada, stop. don't you know? Oh, my God. Anyway. We- so, Kaylin, I, I've insulted I, everybody. Kaylin, I just got a text message. We lost all of our listenership. Oh, that sucks. Um, we're we're going to keep making this podcast anyway. All right. Uh, so, so Finland and a few other assorted countries across Europe and other first world English speaking countries such as Canada and Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's made it around. And the sport is essentially a combination of traditional ball batting team games, which I have no idea what that even means technically. Uh, I'm assuming that's baseball, baseball and I'm assuming that's like baseball and cricket together. Yeah, kind of. it, I would think it was invented by I'm going to mess this up. Everyone listening, I'm gonna mispronounce this one. Um, <laughs> was invented by Larry Taco Picala. Heck, that uh, sure. I, I, yeah. Um, so so. Yeah, I, I would say Lowry, Yalori, uh, Pakala. Okay, all right. Yeah, right. sure. Okay. We'll roll with it. Um, L- listen, I don't know why I jumped in. I'm not any better at pronouncing things. I was going to say, you're the one that sucks at this the worst out of the two of us. So I don't know why I should take advice from you on that one. Okay. Um, but it was invented in the 1920s where he essentially went to a baseball game in Boston, watched the game brought it back over to Finland and said, hey, I have this sport. I want to bring it back from America and create our own version of it. Now, from the little bit of research I did before this podcast, it seemed like he wanted to make it a little bit more like baseball, but everyone that played the game that Finland created actually liked this version better than implementing the changes that our friend uh, Pekala wanted to implement to make it more like American baseball. So oh, it kind of so, just stayed what it is. So he brought back a bad version, and then when he tried to fix it, everyone went all new Coke on him and went, no, 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 we like the original. 
G- yeah, give, exactly, give us the original. Exactly. We we don't want the fixed recipe. Exactly. Keep the cocaine in the coke, if you will, please. <laughs> um. So you, you know, cocaine has not been in coke since literally the 1800s, right? And that's why it sucks now. <laughs> because you've managed to compare the products. You've had a coke from 1986 or something, or, or I'm, I'm sorry, ni- 1886 or something. I'm kidding, obviously. Well, but... Of course. We, we do not condone cocaine use, but how do we even get to this? Okay, so what makes this different from baseball? Tell me do, tell me what's different. Well, all right, here's what's different. The field is very odd, okay? So if you can imagine a diamond, a baseball diamond, okay? You okay. Got, you got first on the right, second in the middle, third on the left, home at home, right? Pitcher's mound in the middle. Okay. This field has none of that, pretty much. Um, this field has... <laughs> Thank you for making me picture a baseball field, only for you to go, yeah, scrap it. Throw well, it out. <laughs> take the basic diamond shape for the uh, the third and first base lines, if you will. Okay. And then when you, imagine if you got to the bases, the lines didn't keep going at an angle. They went straight. And those were your foul ball lines. Okay? Okay, so it's like... So you're kind of chopping the most outer parts of left and right field out of the equation so we're kind of we're looking at um oh why can't i think of the baseball stadium the one uh that the i think the giants used to play at the one that has like the really deep center field and the really shallow sides oh yeah um i can't think of the park yeah polo grounds polo grounds that's what it is that that's it yeah so the one so you're saying it's kind of shaped like polo ground the foul poles are the uh, not poles the foul lines are like the polo grounds where it's it goes out like normal, and then they just run vertical down the length of the field. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. So, here's where things get trippy, alright? Oh, n- home- uh, now we're getting trippy. Yeah, 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 now we're getting trippy. So, home plate is a round circle, and the pitcher is not a pitcher, but a man standing next to the batter, who is standing next to this circle. The pitcher will take this ball in his glove he holds his glove above the ball, if you will, which is kind of looks like a tennis ball, but is much harder and does not bounce like a tennis ball. From the footage I watched, it looks like it has more of the consistency of like a field hockey ball ish, but a little softer. Okay. So he will, I guess, put a weird grip on the ball or something like that and give it some spin or whatever. But the goal is he has to throw it a meter above his head. And then if the ball hits the little circle plate after throwing it straight in the air, that is a strike. If the batter stands there and swings at it and misses it, that is a strike. If the ball misses the little circle, it is a ball. What happens is the batter gets three hits or three tries, okay? Okay. So if he doesn't strike out, so if he gets three strikes, he's out. If he gets three swings and misses, he's out. But he gets three hits to choose from, essentially, right? So what? Wait, okay, wait, hold on, hold on. So like, well, first off, can we talk about how the batter's basically just playing like coach's slow pitch T-ball? But it's not. It's thrown straight in the air. It's like throwing the ball up to yourself, yeah, it's, only you're not throwing it up to yourself. Yeah, so it's like the coach is standing. This is a little awkward. The coach would be standing next to you and just tossing up in the air and you just smack it. Like this feels like a batting drill more than anything else, but all right. So yeah. he tosses it up. He has to like land in a zone, intramural softball style. Okay, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, pretty much. Okay. So, And then the other part of this, so if he hits the ball three times, he then gets to pick which hit he takes? Yes. Like, how, so does, how does that I'm work? I'm getting to this. Okay. I'm getting to this. So let's say I hit the ball, and one of the short stops, I'll get to the positions in a minute, catches the one ball. One of? Hold on, one of? Okay, okay. continue. I'll, I'll clarify in a minute, trust me. Continue. One of the short stops catches the ball. I don't have to run. I don't have to do anything. I can just stand there. They throw the ball back and I get my next hit. Let's say my next hit is foul. Okay. That's a foul. That counts as one of my hits. I lose that hit. Okay. So then I get my third one, which he tosses in the air and I hit and it goes between the short stops and lands right in the dead middle between the two outfielders. I run. So now, guess where I'm going, Dan? Just take a guess at what direction I'm running. Well, I'd assume to whatever the Swedish or Finnish word for first is base. Right. 
But what side what side of the diamond is first base on? Well, in America, it's on the right side. Since you're kind of leaning into this question, I'm going to assume that he had the bases backwards. So you ran clockwise around the bases. So I'm going to say left. All right. Well, you, you got a half right. <laughs> so How did I get a half right? I'll explain. So I hit this ball. It lands in between the two outfielders. I run to first base, which is to my left, probably 50 feet away. Okay. Sure. Then let's say they still didn't get to it. I run to second, which is at a diagonal to the right whole entire right side of the field. Like like along the along like the foul line? Correct. Just past where the foul line actually breaks and starts to go straight. Okay. Then let's say I hit a home run. Okay. Uh, I hit a home run and I made it all the way to third. Third is back a straight line across the field on the left side of the field. So you're saying that third and second are, so third and, okay, so (laughs) I'm trying to figure out the best way to describe this. Okay, so the foul lines are like normal, but then at one point they break and they go vertical away from the batting area, Mm -hmm. like downfield, if you will. Probably about 70 feet. Yeah, polo ground style. So you're saying first base is where third base typically would be in American baseball, kind of, except shorter. A little bit shorter, yeah. And then second base is over just past the break on the foul line on the right side. And yep, then third about... base is straight across on the left foul line. Yep. And then home. Home is home. Home is home. But you can't run along the foul line to get home. So there's a separate line that sticks out outside the foul lines that counts as third base. Now you have to keep your toes on this extended line. But... From there, you can because you can't run on the foul line because what if somebody's on first? You're gonna run into the guy on first. Well, maybe you don't put first and third base on the same foul line. Ah, uh, hey, look, That's... Finnish baseball figured it, figured this out, right? So, <laughs> okay, sure. There's a separate line that you run down that is straight and then angles towards home. Now, home plate is a half moon. Oh, the, like the semicircle you were talking about before that they're soft tossing yep. the ball on. Well, no, the set the circle they're actually spinning this on is like an a- well tossing this on is an actual circular plate that has oh. nothing to do with actual home plate. The oh. bases themselves are half circles that are painted onto the ground. They're not actual bases like American baseball. They're just painted circles on the ground. So home plate is a very large half circle with a ring around the outside and runners who are coming home run into this and they score. Now there are two ways to score going back to when I hit a home run. Notice how I said a home run and I got the third, right? I listen, man, you, I didn't even notice that because you were being weird and saying a lot of things that broke my brain, (laughs) but okay. A home run puts you on third. Yeah. So I got a run because I landed on third, but you score for reaching third base. Yep, and then you score again if somebody hits you home. <laughs> yep, that's a rule. I, I I, think there's only one thing that I could say to this man and to, you know, to Finland for for this weird bastardized version of, of baseball. What the f***, Finland? Like, <laughs> like, what the heck what? is this? This is a drug-induced version of baseball is what this is. This is literally like if you took a stoner that maybe watched baseball twice in his life and asked him to, like, draw it out while high. Pretty much. So would you like me to read through, like, all of the rules just in general now to give you a perspective of how what is different compared to our version of baseball? Now that I kind of gave you a lay of the land of the field. (laughs) Give you like what are these rules that you can do on this field? Well, give me give me a give me a synopsis because I'm I'm sure there's a lot of really intricate ones, but if you have a solid synopsis, yeah, don't break my brain more than it needs to be, please. I I need my brain. Okay, so there are only force outs. There are no tag outs. There are no fly outs. So what happens if like a player is on second? Does he have to go to third then when the ball's hit? Yes. Oh, as so far he as can't, I know, he can't as just. As far as I know, yes, he can't just chill on second if it's like a ball hit directly to third base. Yeah, as far as I know, yes. From what I can tell and what I've watched, they have to run no matter what. Oh, well, that's that's a big change. Okay, and because of that, there are there are all forces. All right. Yes, they are all force outs. 
just to give you the gist of everything, I, I kind of went through most of the things that are different already. If you want a actual synopsis of the whole thing, just watch some finished baseball and you'll kind of get the gist of what's going on. Will I? Because I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really not sure. The other main difference that I will provide is that the positions are quite different. So there are nine players on a field Okay. for defense. The pitcher is positioned at home base who tosses the ball up. A catcher plays in the infield on the side of second base. So he's on the infield opposite of first base in this weird diamond shape, right? Okay. Each of the three bases has its own baseman, just like normal baseball. So you'd have a guy standing at first opposite of the catcher. You'd have a guy standing at second behind the catcher. And then a guy standing at third across the field from the guy at second. Then there are what they call two short stops, which basically play shallow right and shallow left uh, to make sense of this for our American listeners that aren't Finnish and have an understanding of this rule. Then you have the two outfielders, which play very deep because there are pretty much no fences in this for majority of the sport. Yeah, I... (laughs) This oh, yeah. is just such a weird setup. Like it's it really is just the bases that like immediately you're like, hold on. Something is wrong <laughs> like, here. This is like the wait a minute, what am I looking at here? <laughs> Somebody drew the baseball diamond wrong and I'm just hallucinating. But it's no, like the, this it's, is a real thing. If Pablo Picasso or some other impressionist artist or something made baseball. So My last tidbit of information on this, and I know we have exploded this segment for uh, this time. Oh, uh, totally fine. Yeah. This sport was in the 1952 Summer Olympics that were held in Helsinki, Finland, because it was their homeland and they were like, we're going to play our sport. I'm guessing. Wait, wait. This was in the Olympics. This sport was in the Olympics. In 1952. Good, sir. It was in the Olympics. For the record, American baseball will make its debut in the Olympics next summer what the hell how did this make the olympics before american baseball because it was in finland the olympics were in helsinki i know so they were just like screw it we'll throw it in but there is an international olympic committee who like sets the rules and sets this stuff it's not like oh like yeah the home team gets to decide whether or not they hope like you know you know what The, the next games are in america and we're not very good at i don't know like table tennis or something so we're just not going to have the event or like we're really good at you know american football so we're going to add american football to the nfl like or to the the olympics that's not how this works that's not how any of this works i know i understand that but i would think the committee probably like threw him a bone or something or they got bribed one of the two probably a bribe but anyway now that i hurt your brain dan that's the obscure sport for uh this week i'm gonna take a nap And as we wrap up here on the pregame podcast, it's time for us to make some predictions about what's happening in the upcoming world of sports. Kalen, where would you like to uh, put your prediction for this week? Well, uh, like I said last week on the show, I, I dropped a little hint of like, I might just, you know, predict a game a week for the NBA return. And that's what I am going to do. This week, I am looking at the Philadelphia 76ers and Indiana Pacers game for August 1st. That game, oddly enough, is not going to be on ESPN. But anyway, that game, I'm looking at the Sixers as the winners at 7 p.m. on August 1st. Get their season, quote-unquote, restart season kicked off right and move forward with, you know, the rest and, you know, get on a roll, maybe. At the end of this, we're going to have to compile them all together and see how you did overall since you're you're building up these predictions for one big week. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have we're going to have a couple, a few of them. I think we're going to have like four or so till actual restart. So uh, I might be right. I might be wrong. There's so many variables involved. I'm just taking a real wild guess, to be honest with you. Well, that is okay. That That is not a problem by me. And speaking of wild guesses, Dan, what is your wild guess for this week? Uh, okay, well, I'm trying to think here. What was my guess for last week? It was Alex Albon sits on, on top and that McLaren gets a top three again. Is that what I said? For F1? Yeah, it was along those lines. 
It was preposterous again. That's all that really matters. I mean, Albon got fourth. McLaren had a driver in fifth. So, yeah, I mean, you could say what you want. But I'm going to take this to the world of baseball. We still have some spring training going on before the season starts up. Uh, I believe Thursday of next week is the exact date that opening day officially happens. But in the meantime, before opening day, the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing a three-game series against Cleveland as a wrap-up to their spring training, uh, including a game this Saturday and then next Monday and then next week for our show on Wednesday. They're going to have a game that evening as well. And I'm going to say that despite the fact that Cleveland has been a much better squad than the Pirates over the most recent couple of years, I think that the Pirates are going to win this series. So at least a 2-1 win, you know, uh, overall for the series. Maybe, maybe if we're lucky, a 3-0. That'd be a pretty good omen as we uh, gear up towards baseball. And the Pittsburgh Pirates have to take on the tremendous, tremendously difficult AL Central. (laughs) Obviously, joking there, the AL Central is uh, horrendous, horrendously bad. So it's pretty rough. Regardless, that's my prediction. The Pirates in this spring training series against the Cleveland Indians managed to pull out a win overall in the uh, in the set. So, you know, either two games or three games. That's what I'm saying for the Pirates. But those are my predictions. Kaylin, anything else you got to say before we get out of here? Uh, Nothing at the moment. All right, then. So we'll just keep on chugging and get out of here. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter to follow everything that the pregame is doing outside of our regularly scheduled shows at pregame underscore pod. Also, don't forget to send us any questions, comments, or discussion you have for the show to our mailbag at the pregame mailbag at gmail.com. I think that about covers it, so we'll get out of your hair. I'm Dan Zaleski. I'm Kalen Wolfskill. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for sitting and listening to us for an hour. Game podcast is produced by Dan Zaleski and Kalen Wolfskill, with special guest Hunter Connolly and Ian Roth. Theme music by High on You, a Ruby Media production. You know, I'm really surprised you didn't go with a uh, Formula One prediction there, pal. The Hungaro rings coming up next week. Yes, or actually the, this weekend. Yeah, the the Hungaro ring is on its way, but. I, I didn't want to do all F1 predictions. That doesn't seem, you know, I got, I got to spread it out. We got to get hyped uh, for baseball. Yeah. Baseball's coming back. You got basketball covered. It. So maybe a hockey it. one, maybe a hockey one comes into play. Cause what's going on in hockey? We haven't looked at hockey in a while. Uh, that sounds like a TJ thing. That does sound like a TJ thing. It looks like there are games starting August 1st. So yeah, yeah. August 1st is uh. going to be the first thing. So, you know, once we get closer to it, maybe make a couple of predictions about hockey. So.